Hi, I'm Glenn Harper, CPA and owner of Harper & Company, CPAs Plus, and partner in Sula Consulting. In each episode, my co-host, Julie Smith, Harper & Company's practice manager and partner in Sula Consulting, and I will interview a different guest about their entrepreneurial journey. The podcast features interviews with business owners, aka entrepreneurs, who bring intriguing and entertaining clarity to the entire entrepreneurial journey, giving others confidence to build their business. Our goal is to provide actionable value to you, the entrepreneur, to help you do business or build a business. Every entrepreneur deserves to enjoy the journey. Learning from others offers valuable insight and inspiration. We want to provide insight on the why, the how, the shortcuts, and the value add that many entrepreneurs wish they would have had identified at the onset of their journey. Sit back and enjoy the journey. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Empowering Entrepreneurs. I'm Glenn Harper. And Julie Smith. What's going on, Julie? Hey, you know, it's an exciting day here. That it is. We got a great guest today we're really looking forward to chat with. His name's Chad Brown. How you doing, Chad? I'm great. It's, awesome. It's great to be with you guys. I'm honored. Oh, I don't know about that, but we appreciate the kind words. Well, you know, Chad's a fellow entrepreneur who's the driving force behind Take New Ground and the Naked Leadership Podcast, which sounds intriguing. He's helped many of an entrepreneur, <laughs> the art of being a leader of themselves, their team, and their clients. But we do appreciate you being here with us. Um, I detect a slight Idahoan accent, even though you're from Utah. Is is that my intention, or did you spend some time in Idaho, or what's what's the story with that? I have no ties to Idaho at all. <laughs> That's great. Are you originally from Idaho? I mean, from no. Utah? I'm from Utah, yeah. All, the whole yeah. time? All right. Um, yeah, we probably all sound the same out here in the Mountain West. I'm totally messing with you. That's half the fun. Uh, trying, I was trying to pick a, pick a state that would sound intriguing. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, we, we, we do have a special accent out here. We don't say our T's. You know that, right? And why is that? Well, I don't know. I, I was born this way. We, <laughs> we, say, we say mountain. Mount, yeah. Well, how do you say Utah, though? You all? Yeah, I guess you're right. We have a T in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a soft T. It's a soft T. <laughs> it's a soft T. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, we were, uh, we actually, I was in Utah, we were there a year ago yeah, at a conference. almost a year ago. And it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, people are friendly, uh, the the mountains, the everything was just, it was an amazing place. I can't, you're very fortunate to live there. It's got to be the best kept secret. I think everybody from California is coming there now, but was it, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. was well, it cool? Will you please stop talking about is how it, great it is? Uh, it's, it's actually horrible. a trash hole. Yeah. It, there's nothing it, to see it here. It was people a little cold. Yeah, it was it's a, a very cold. salty lake. You don't swim in it. You know, it's cold all the time. You don't want to be part That's of it. That's right. Uh, it's our paradise, man. We we uh, we live at the foothills of the of the Wasatch Mountains, and um, we go skiing, we go kayaking. Uh, every opportunity we get, we're up in the mountains, and, and we can be there in ten minutes, which is just insane. Amazing. That's insane. I, yeah, you know. It, um, you growing up there, and it eventually it looked like you became a, a Wolverine, uh, Utah Valley. And uh, you know, how did that go? Did you like going to school there? Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was kind of the default setting. So, uh, but it but it's a great place to be. Yeah, I was reading the history of that college, and again, it was started right in you know World War II to kind of train people for munitions and such like that. And then next thing you know, you became a state university, and you're like legit, like a like big time college now, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's grown. We live about four blocks from campus, oh, wow. and it just continues to expand and expand and expand. So we're we're right between UVU and and BYU. Yeah, which is crazy. I you know for some reason I thought that was in Salt Lake, but it's really in Prevo, which is kind of cool. And so you is it a do you think it's more of a college town, or you think it's more of just a small community that happens to have some colleges in it? We're we're very much a college town. Um, both the Provo Orem area are, are college towns. We love it. Gotcha. Did you ever? leave Utah to go anywhere else and travel before you decided that you're going to be this when you go up or I did. Yeah, I did. I I lived a couple of years in Minnesota, uh, which was an interesting, interesting experience. Very cold, big mosquitoes. Um, I loved it there. Loved the people, uh, loved all the lakes. It was just a, I mean, talk about another place to get into nature is a really, uh, Minnesota is a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, and then I started a media uh, a media production company in Southern California and was there for about four years. Well, those are those two are drastically very different, different climates. Yeah, very, 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 you very different. Kind of yes. ended in the middle, correct? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What was the siren song that brought you back to Utah? The family, or just you just needed to be near the mountains and peace? The mountains. Yeah, uh, yeah. We found ourselves. Um, 
not finding a lot of opportunities to get away in Southern California. I spent my life on a freeway, it felt like. And uh, and so that wasn't working for me. I, I can't even imagine. Uh, we were there last year, and it was like, I mean, just wall-to-wall people. And I don't know what everybody's doing, but it appeared like people were mostly doing a lot of nothing, which is <laughs> odd. Because we're in just Ohio, driving. So, right, they're just driving and hanging out and having a good time. I'm like, where are all the workers at? Like, we're all working here in Ohio. So it's right. How do you how do you make money sitting on the freeway all day I, long? I don't that's, get that's it. That's my question. I get it. They must be texting and driving. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> safety patrol over here. Yeah, well, you know, I, you know, just trying to be prudent with our safety councils out there. Um, you know, when you uh, we always like to figure out. You know, you had uh, apparently a real job for a while coming out of college, and then at some point. Uh, you decided, you know, enough of that. I want to do my own thing. What? How long did you work in the have a real job? Quotes versus uh, an entrepreneur. When did you start doing that? I've always been an entrepreneur. Really, uh, never been employed. Well, that's not exactly true. I was employed from uh, seventeen to to nineteen in a flood and, and fire restoration company. Um, and then I took a couple of years off of that to go to Minnesota. That that trip to Minnesota, that time in Minnesota was actually a, a mission for the Mormon church um, that I was a part of at the time. And then I came back and, and uh, made an offer to that restoration company to become a partner. And that was my first entryway into entrepreneurship. So, and haven't looked back since then. So what made you go into that though? Like what, was it just someone offered you a job there and you ended up there, you went away, came back. How did that a good happen? question? I grew up on construction construction sites with my dad. So my dad was a drywall hanger and drywall hanger and finisher. And that's he, a hard job. Whew. It is, a, it is an incredibly difficult job. Um, I started working with him when I was eight years old, scrapping houses and scrapping just means all of the pieces that they cut out of the drywall has to then be taken out of the house, put in the dumpster. So I did that from eight years old to 16 years old. Uh, actually, even only did um, my junior and senior year in high school, only did halftime school and halftime, they called wow. it work release. Sounds like I was in prison. I wasn't. Those, um, those Utahns are tough out there, I'm telling you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so they, I, I did that in a work release program because I just thought, you know, there wasn't much in school interesting me at the time. And I thought, hey, I could I could earn some money and figure some stuff out. So was your dad or not? Was he a self-employed or he worked for a company? Yeah, he was self-employed. So he knew he showed you the value of hard work and uh, teamwork and all those things, I'd imagine. He did, you know, and it's really interesting because my dad always struggled as an entrepreneur. It was always a, a, a scraping by kind of up and down sort of thing. Like I can remember... I can remember specifically as a kid, the only time I ever went to Disneyland, uh, I was 10 years old. We had planned the trip and we were going to drive out. It's only like a nine hour drive for us uh, from Utah. And I remember my parents sitting me down two nights before we were supposed to leave to Disneyland and telling me that we didn't have the money to go. A job didn't come through or somebody didn't pay or you know something like that. And I, I was devastated, obviously. Um we ended up being able to go. I don't know what my, they pulled it through somehow, probably borrowed some money from a, a relative or something. I don't know, but it was, it, I just think about that like a, a lot in the, in the, in the topic and in, in an experience of entrepreneurship. I don't, I don't know why I wanted to do it right. because the example that I had was, it was really rough road. Brutal. But don't you think you wanted to do something a little different, but the same, you had something maybe to prove that it could be done in sure. a different manner. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I don't know that that was conscious. There was probably a, some co subconsciousness there. Uh, I mostly have just always really loved freedom. Mm -hmm. Don't we all? You know, <laughs> you know, what's funny about that too, is when you live in Utah, a seven, nine hour drive is just like a normal drive in Ohio. <laughs> we're like, Oh my God, I got to drive 30 minutes. This is horrible. Yeah, My For, max is three before we get on a plane. plane. You guys are like, and you're out West. It's like, ah, that's a 12 hour drive. We got that. We'll do that today. We'll I know. I, I, I literally stopped right. and thought about that. I was like, well, nine hours. That's a long time. That's easy peasy. <laughs> <laughs> but so back to your trip to Minnesota. So you go to Minnesota on, on a mission trip or, or whatever you want. I forget what you called it exactly, but yeah. And, you're doing that and you've left this job. What is that aha moment of, I'm going to go back and be a partner in this? That was a grueling experience that really taught me a lot. I matured 
in two years, I matured a decade at least. This is on the mission trip you matured. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. The experience of knocking on people's doors and trying to talk to them about something that they don't want to talk about when some teenager knocks on their door, which rightfully so. Now that I'm, now that I'm in my position, I see. I see. Get off my uh, lawn. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it taught me so much to be able to to be with people in conflict, to be with people in times of need. You know, we got a lot of opportunities to help people out, but we worked really, really hard. We worked uh, six and a half days of the week. We literally got a half a day off to do our laundry and our grocery shopping. And then every other minute we were visiting with people, knocking on doors, doing community service, you know, stuff like that. So that really instilled in me and there was a there was a there's a business side of it as well. You, you at the end of each week you report your numbers. How many people did you talk to? How many hours of service did you do? How many, you know, discussions did you teach? All of that sort of stuff. And so I, we were we were accountable to our work. Uh, we were working really hard. We had an aim and a vision in mind. And that just, I mean, I matured so much, I learned so much, and I feel like I came away from that knowing that I had a lot to offer for for a business. I loved the business that um, I was working for when I left, and but I saw a lot of things that I could, I thought that I could improve, uh, a lot of things that I could contribute. And that's, um, you know, that restoration business when you're working with insurance companies is, is a pretty- Brutal. It, it's brutal, man. It's cutthroat. It's small margins. It takes forever to get paid. And you've got to stay in in their good graces, or you're not going to get the referrals that you need in order to keep the keep the doors open. So uh, there's a lot to it. Anyway, so I came back pretty gung ho on what I thought I could contribute. On when on your mission trip, just out of curiosity, is that something that um, you know the church says, "Hey, we need you to do this for two years," and that's kind of like your responsibility? Or is it like, "Hey, we need you to do this for three months, but you can stay as long as you want"? Did you have a choice in that, or is it like this is what you got to do? No, it's it's very much strict. This is what okay. you got to do. This is your path. It's two years. You pay your own way. Um, so it's so you, it's set. So you had to make the best of that and and try to find all those things to find it rewarding and and all those, which is you know that's pretty cool. I mean, it's well, yeah. And I mean, as a nineteen year old kid, yeah. I mean, that's that's quite a splash. I mean, especially at that age, you got other things you're trying to do. With. And again, that's definitely something that probably shaped and formed you, right? And absolutely. It was a boot, it was life boot camp, man. Man, that's harsh. Now, in the company that you then came back to and started and was a partner in. Wait, first I want to I want to make sure we don't skip a part here. So tell me, you you're coming I love it. I love your guys' dynamic by the way. <laughs> Listen to a few episodes and it's a, it, you got a fantastic thing going. Go ahead, thanks. thanks. So you come back and you've decided you want to be a partner in this company. Tell me how you approach that because for as young as you are, to walk in and, you know, I don't even want to say you demanded it. I'm sure, you know, did it in a very professional manner, but how did you go about doing that and how were you able to succeed? You know, I had an aim, I had a vision and I, you know, I get to now, we haven't talked about this, but I get to work now with the entrepreneurs every single day in a coaching con uh, context. And I say, when we have a vision, the action becomes clear, right? When we're clear you're, you're on where we're- speaking my words. I yeah, just said this that. in the last podcast. Say that one more time. Vision is what? Yeah. Well, when you have a vision, action becomes clear. So most clients want me to tell them what to do. And I'm not into that game. I'm not, I'm not an advice guy. I don't know what to do. But I know how to ask really powerful questions and keep somebody committed to a vision because I know if they're committed to their vision, the action that is needed in order to make that happen will come. Whatever it is, if they're in it, whatever it takes, I'm committed no matter what, it will come. And that's how that's where things happen. So for me, I came home with a vision. I wanted to own a business. That, that seemed like the, the most natural place to start because, uh, because I knew the business. I had worked with them. I liked the people that were there. Uh, and I knew their struggles. And so I had a vision for what it could be. So that was my starting place. Honestly, I went in, I didn't have anything to lose. So you felt That's, like your strengths were their opportunities, essentially? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, but this is the crazy thing. So 
Here you are. You worked there for two years doing probably anything they asked you to do. You learned everything. Mm -hmm. They obviously knew your work ethic. And you're like, hey, see you later. I got to go do a thing for two years. I may or may not Mm -hmm. be back. And you come back. You're full of piss and vinegar. You're 20 years old, right? I mean, you come back. (laughs) 21. 21. You're like, you know, hey, hey, dudes, uh, I got a big set of whatevers and I want to be I want to be a partner. So how does that conversation even start? Because normally a typical company is not even going to listen to that without having you put in so much sweat equity or bringing money to the table or whatever. How did you overcome that obstacle to say, look, I need to skip the line and go right in? You know, I just, I just let them know. I said, here's what I think, here's what I think I could bring to the table. Here's what's needed, or at least here's what I think what's needed. If you guys haven't solved it over the last couple of years. Um, And here's, here are a few solutions that I believe or or that I want to try in order to see if we can create something new here. And that was it. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't a big deal to me. Like I said, I had nothing to lose. You're young and dumb. You don't know anything. Right. That's great. Yeah. No so fear. I just went in, Hey, here's, here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? And so what was their they reaction? Thought, they thought about it. They say, yeah, you got, you gave us a lot to think about. You know, and they thought about it. And, and I said, either way, you know, either way, I would love to, to discuss working here again. Cause that was, you know, the most viable option. Um, but they considered it and said, yeah, come on, let's, let's start the, let's start the, the conversation. So, so I've this never is heard a story like no, this, but, but this is, uh, again, this is where it's a, the, a crazy thing about the entrepreneurial mindset is that you, you go to a place, you put everything you had into it to work there and you didn't just work there. You were trying to learn. And not only were you learning, you were observing and trying to figure things out. Well, then you go away for two years and you're still thinking about it, obviously, because you you could not have just shut that off and magically show up and say, here I am. You had to have been thinking all these problems through and developing what your solution would be. So when you came back, you're like, fellas, this is what I've been thinking about. I've been planning this for two years. Here's your new business plan. I'd love to be part of it. I mean, that that is really a psycho mindset where you're like, just because I'm gone doesn't mean I'm not thinking about this anymore. Sure. It means that sure. I've honed this in a little bit. And hey, if you guys haven't figured it out by yet, I, I have. I mean, they, they would have been stupid not to bring you back in, right? I mean, you had it all yeah. solution. Well, I think so. But right. I mean, apparently they did too. <laughs> they, you know, they weren't in a good position. They'd been struggling and never quite figured out how to make it. And, and to be honest, neither did I. When I came in and was, you know, was there in that position with them in ownership for a few years, couple, it, it wasn't even long. I think it was three or four years. I, some of the stuff that I brought to the table or wanted to bring to the table worked, but for the most part, I didn't figure it out either. Um, which is which was really interesting and ultimately is why I stepped away from that. Is that I didn't see, I stopped, I didn't see much possibility there anymore. Um, so why and, didn't uh, it work? Like, was it, is it the industry? Like what exactly, you know, you, you were running through walls at that point, right? Like you were going to, to make it work. So what, tell me, tell me more. I didn't see the potential for the upside that I wanted there. Got it. it were you, no. did you bring in, were you looking at more operational? Were you looking at project management? Were you looking at systems? Were you looking at vision? Um, type of work, you know, what was the thing you were really trying to push that they were kind of hesitant to do? Operations. Operations was my baby. Um, and I thought there were a few tweaks that we could make to, to make our projects more profitable. Um, and it just, it was such a hard road and you're at the mercy. This is the reason that I saw less possibility is again, I, I think so much about freedom, right? I want freedom to uh, be able to charge what the market will pay for my services. And in the restoration business, there is no market, Cap. period. Yep. It's it, You're capped. Whatever the insurance companies tell you they will pay for this thing, that's what you can make. And you got to give them your financials so they know what you make. So then they set it to that and then you're done. It's even worse than that. There is a standard software that you write your bids in and they dictate the prices inside that software. They say, this is what we will pay. Then you'll submit it to them and then they'll come back and beat you up even lower. And, and then you, you know, they have preferred lists like, you know, I guess I won't say company names, but like 
They have preferred lists. And if you want to get on their preferred list, which is going to be an endless amount of referrals, right? So endless amount of business, but you got to take your margins even lower. It's just cutthroat. It just isn't, it wasn't, I didn't see a lot of possibility in it. I've even taken note and watched carefully over the years. And I haven't seen other than the big ones like Service Master, which is a nationwide mm-hmm. um, uh, franchise. They come in that these restoration companies come and go in a five-year period. You, you can't you can't survive at that level. There's there's just not mm-hmm. enough profit. So you so, you so I'm shocked. Thing. I'm shocked that you didn't try to revolutionize the industry. The insurance, company, <laughs> the insurance company dictates you had to go. I know, but I'm pay, surprised right? he just didn't go to the. You know, I'm just saying, like I, they're, you're they're telling giants. it, and I'm like, how do we change this? Well, remember <laughs> the your insurance company is who the customer is going to go through first is going to dictate and do it a turnkey, and you don't have an opportunity really to go outside the insurance company because customers don't want to pay. They want that's what they have insurance for. So you're just stuck in the middle. Did you? Yeah, uh, you get a you get a flood or a fire at your house that um, does let's say $65,000 worth of damage. You, I don't know about you. I don't have 65 K lying around that I can just rebuild my house with. Right. So your insurance is your only option. So as a restoration company, marketing to the individual isn't even an option really. So your, your market, your, your customer is the insurance company. The man's sticking it to you. So if you did this for a while and it wasn't working, you're like, I'm tired of this. What what happened? What 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 did you decide to do at that point? I jumped in. So at this point, this is this my the story gets fun at this point. Uh, this was 2000, late 2007. I decided I was going to become a real estate mogul. Oh, it's the best time to do it. <laughs> it's the best time to yeah. do it. Uh, you know, everybody's making money in real estate, buying that stuff up, selling it for huge profits. You know, banks were giving away money, writing loans they never should have wrote. And uh, I took on a partner. We created a firm. We partnered with a bunch of investors. Uh, We profit split with them, or we're going to profit split with them. We we went the new construction route and the condo conversion route. Mm -hmm. So building new houses and then buying apartment buildings and converting those into condos, right? And, uh, at the time, right out from the gates, we, we, uh, were holding about 48 properties and then late 2008 hit bottom fell out. And, uh, what felt like overnight, we had lost everything. Mm -hmm. Literally every property that we were holding at the moment, you know, on average, our, on average, our properties were going to be about a half a million sale. Uh, overnight, they were coming in at like 180, mm-hmm. uh, 200,000. And we were already into these builds. Obviously, we were already into these builds, you know, three to $400,000. So uh, it all fell out. And that was the most depressing time of my life. Um, and, you know, I was, it, it was interesting. I, I jumped into that because I, I saw the possibility of money. And you know, I had money signs in my eyes, and uh, and and that's all I wanted. It's not like I thought I was going to make a difference in the world with real estate. It's not like you know any of that sort of stuff. I didn't have a a, a connection to it. I was undereducated in it, way undereducated in it, way over leveraged, and um, and that all fell out. I mean, you know, in I had two uh, little kids at the time. Um, our oldest at the time, I think was four and our youngest was one and, um, we lost everything. I mean, personally, we were personally leveraged to our home, our cars, everything. And I went into a deep, deep depression, just, you know, beating myself up. Um, that was really rough. But then what happens as an entrepreneur, as a dad, as a husband, you're like, grab you by the back of the neck, pull yourself up and say, get back at it, brother. You, there is no chance to sit there and wallow in it because you, you've got a responsibility, right? And yeah. you, how long did yeah. that take before you're like, wait a minute, let's get back on this train? I mean, unfortunately, it took a good 45, 60 days. Well, that's um, nothing. I mean, some people do this, you know, they sit in the sidelines for years, 45 days. Ah, that's nothing. That's That's a blink. Yeah, it feels like I mean it feels like an eternity when you're sitting right. in your office alone and 
you know, mm-hmm. just facing what it is, the, the mess that you've created. You're, you're on the island. Nobody, nobody understands. Everybody's judging. You got no support yep. structure. It's all you. Back's against the wall. You're in the valley. It's, yep. So what, tell me the next peak. Then what do you do? So I, at that moment, the, the, the blessing of that, I don't know, a, a blessing's a weird word, but a like word. whatever word, you know, works is like the silver lining. The lesson in that for me was like, don't ever do anything just for money again. Hmm. And that was a giant realization. I, and I don't know if I could, it, it, had I been successful in real estate at that time and made a bunch of money, I don't know, maybe I would still be in there and miserable. I don't, I have no idea, but um, it's just interesting, you know, as you look back in the trajectory, but uh, at that time I decided I was never going to do anything for money again. So I had remembered that, um, or, or it came to mind that I had loved uh, video work in high school. I was president of the video club and, you know, just had a good time, but I never thought about it as like a career. I never thought about it as, as a, as a legit offering out in the world. And uh, this came back to mind. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go tell stories with a video camera. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had no idea if there was even a market for it. I didn't know what it was going to take. Um, but went out, borrowed some money from my mom, which is, uh, I still, it, it still is like gut wrenching for me to say that at 25 years old, going to borrow money from my mom to buy a video camera. But that's what I did. Um, got a camera started getting real scrappy, finding clients, seeing what the need was. Uh, the immediate need that I found was weddings. I started filming weddings, making wedding videos, and uh, ultimately found somebody in Southern California who was doing beautiful film work. So I went out, I just asked, can I just come understudy? Can I come follow you? And he said, of course, yeah, come out, come help me. Went out, it clicked. We became part. I once again asked him if I could be, a, be a partner <laughs> in his business because what I what I realized after a couple of times with him is that he was a, an amazing artist. He was a terrible businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, he was behind on his post product, way way behind on his post production. He had a number of clients who hadn't paid him. He was renting a lot of gear every single shoot, which would, this was like three times a week. So there was just so I just like. My eyes got. I saw this and my eyes got really big and I'm like, oh, I know the difference that I can make here. Um, and so I did. And we grew extremely fast. Um, and uh, which is sounds like uh, sounds like an, a peak, but it's actually the the gateway to another valley, probably one of the most significant valleys of my life. But um, you know, we grew really fast. Within two or three years, we're doing uh, client work. We're doing promotional work for clients like Volkswagen, Pixar Animation Studios, Target. Just really, I mean, we hit the market at the right time as far as equipment goes and storytelling goes. Um, and we just worked our <clears throat> off. tails off. Um, and ultimately, uh, I allowed that business to take over my life. I was traveling close to 300 days a year. Question, did and, you have your, was your family with you in Southern California or they're still back yes. in Utah? They came yeah, with, okay. Yeah, yeah, we loaded up our Scion XB that I bought for $3,500. We put everything in it that we can, uh, that we could. Uh, you know, the mattress that, on the roof, going down the that's road. That's right, that's exactly right. That's a lot longer <laughs> drive than Disneyland though, I have a feeling. <laughs> this is the same drive. Oh, wow. <laughs> Disneyland's in Southern California. So yeah, it was about a nine hour, nine and a half hour drive, Ooh. but we, we lo- put everything we could in there, moved out, um, literally stayed in this guy's two bedroom apartment with him for about a month before we could make enough money to, to rent a place of our own. And, uh, anyway, so growth happened fast and I lost myself in it. And, and part of that, I look back on it now, part of that for me was like, I was never going to be in that financial position again. And unfortunately, I the pendulum swung the other direction. I just lost myself in it. Um, I was a terrible leader. We had high turnover. We ran people into the ground. When I say people like our team, mm-hmm. our cinematographers, our editors, so much was expected of them. Very little was given. 
Uh, we believed that they were lucky to be with us. Uh, you know, a lot of really terrible failures as leaders. And um, it was rough. It was really, really rough. And, uh, you know, it came, it all came to a head through a couple of events. We had a really big production with Volkswagen and we had two guys walk off the set, two very crucial roles walk off set at that, uh, on that production. Um, and my partner and I just, I, I just looked at him and I said, man, this isn't working. I'm not proud of the dad that I am. I'm not proud of the husband that I am. I'm not proud of the leader that I am. You know, this thing on paper looks incredibly successful. And we were, you know, we were doing the whole thing. We were speaking from stages to other, at conferences and, you know, if, from the outside, anybody would have thought, man, these guys really got it together. And it was not, it, it was terrible. And so we decided at that moment, we can't figure out how to do this thing right, how to do this thing in a way that's really going to be meaningful for us. And we can be the husbands that we want to be, we can be the dads, dads that we want to be um, and be good to people. If we can't figure this out, we'll walk away. We got six months. We gave ourselves six months. And um, we were determined. And about that time, I got introduced to a man by the name of Adrian Kaler, and he called himself a business coach. And I didn't know what a business coach was. I had no, I didn't even know that was a thing. I was like, okay, great, whatever. I'll try anything. Help, literally, help I'll try me. anything. Yeah. And uh, super skeptical, uh, you know, yeah, right. This thing's not going to help, but why not give it a go? And uh, Adrian came in and challenged, uh, challenged our thinking and challenged us in a way. He was so much more than a business coach. Um, challenged our stories. You know, one of the things that sticks out to me uh, on our second or third call, um, he was asking us what, you know, what's going on, what's not working. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm a family man and this business has gotten in the way of me and my family. And he said, you're lying. And I said, A, that's offensive. And B, mm -hmm. what do you mean I'm lying? So no, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to me. You're not a family man. I said, oh, what, what do you mean? And he said, if you're a family man, you would have arranged your life in a way that you were with your family. And like you, you would have created it basically. If you wanted it, you would have created it. That's what he said. That's, that's, that's got to hit hard. Oh, it was like a ton of bricks, but it was one of the most transformational moments in my life where it was like, no, you're in control of this thing. You created it. So it's giving you something. It's doing something for you. And getting clear for me about the ego, the, the, my business, that business had become food for my ego. And I was more committed to that than I was my family at that moment in my life. And for somebody to stay with me, stand with me, and say that to me, I had never had anybody stand for me like that before and say something really, really difficult um, for the sake of what I say I want, for the vision and aim that I say I want. And uh, yeah, we worked together for years. He helped me buy out that partner amicably because that partnership just was not working anymore. Uh, he helped me build that business to a place where it was uh, operating autonomously without me, a business manager in place. And uh, just really beautiful stuff. Uh, and now I work with him day in and day out. Um, he's one of the founding partners of Take New Ground. And um, we work together in this coaching consulting space. So you still have the video production company then as well? Mm -hmm. Sweet. Yeah. So would you say that this person was the biggest mentor in your life in regards to the most impactful? Even though that relationship has changed, and I, I get that, but in that moment, at moments, the moment, absolutely. That person, business coach, became a mentor to you. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, it's it's it's. Uh, I'm intrigued that you had the coach and he t mentor did these things, and then all of a sudden, you guys had that synergy. We're like, look, we we need to be partners. I think we can do something really great together. I mean, that's. Mm -hmm. That's a, I don't know if that's a chance meeting, a chance thing would happen. I mean, you guys just must have had some telepathetic connection there. I say that word on purpose like that because that's just hard to find, right? You just don't get that every day. So that's like a once in a million type of thing. 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm noticing now in this conversation my pattern of uh, me weaseling my way into businesses, but you do um, a great job at it. Yeah, <laughs> I got to watch our six here on you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually not a partner in Take New Ground, um, so I'm an independent contributor. So, um, but we work closely right. together, Dan, so, and I'm ex- the work that I do is exclusively under the TNG brand. So, a question then is: Did you decide that maybe partnerships weren't for you? that you need to just structure it a little differently to have maybe a little more control? Well, I'm an independent contributor even under TNG brand. So I am my, I, I mean, I make my own schedule. I hunt what I eat. Uh, I mean, so I'm the owner of my business. I'm the owner of my actions. There wasn't, I don't think there's an opportunity or really a need for me to be like a a founding or a partner in that firm uh, or in the firm. Um, I just didn't but know if your mindset had shifted through all of those experiences in yeah, regards to the partnerships. Yeah, you're I guess. more like a you're a franchisor that in charge of your own you know eat what you kill type of thing, but use that system to help you do that probably right. And but you yes, have the absolutely. ultimate authority, ultimate freedom, ultimate everything. But you yeah. still have the I don't know this the warm fuzzy feeling of having somebody up top that can support you and you can support them to to kind of so you don't have to do it by yourself. Hundred percent. We bring each other in on different, on different with different clients, depending on needs and and history. You know, our other founding partner Dan Takini, he's been at this work 40, 40 something years, forty three years. Uh, he's a sage. He's a brilliant, brilliant man, and um, it's just so it. We work together so well, and I, I didn't consciously to answer your question, Julie. I didn't cons. I didn't consciously uh, like not set up another scenario where I had a partnership, but I definitely think a lot about of it, a lot about it. I, I work, you know, given my history, when anybody, when any potential client comes into our realm that is having partnership difficulties, um, I'm usually the guy who works with them. Cause you know, you live. Yeah. There. Yeah. I can hold that space really, really well. Is the uh, ambersand on your hat? What's that signify? Is that your logo or? No, it reminds me and it reminds my clients that there's more than one option. If plus and got it, nice. So have you got? So have you been able to build a team, or it's just you? Um, just to go back to that in regards to kind of the differences between you know the different scenarios that you've been through. What does that look like now? So I have a team that uh, helps me with logistical things, um, with admin and content creation. Um, but as a as a coach or consultant, I'm independent. So you still do the day to day coaching and such, probably because yeah. you love it. You're impactful. Love it. Yeah, I feel so lucky that I get to do it every day. Who's your? Uh, do you have a a hit list? I mean, everybody has one. You know, uh, where you're like. Well, if I could just coach that person, I would be so impactful. Their life would their life would be rocked. Do you have uh, somebody that you would, you know, maybe somebody famous, infamous, whatever that like, wow, if I could just get in that person's, you know, wheelhouse, I could really help them. Not an individual because I don't, I don't pay a lot of attention to, you know, I, I work mostly with founders. Typically it's in a space where they are, um, the product and their service is, has done really well in the marketplace, but their leadership and team is lacking. So it's, you know, being able to provide and and fulfill the product or service in a way that's meaningful. Um, that's typically where people find me. That's where I love to be. So there's not like a, I, I don't really, I mean, I've done some, done some work with some leaders at, you know, brands like Lululemon and stuff like that, that, that I always talk about the viscosity of the culture and, in a in a larger company, it's it's much more viscous. I think of it about like trying to swim in peanut butter. Trying to make movement feels like trying to swim in peanut butter. But when I work with a small to medium-sized founder, it's like swimming in water. We can make quick movements and the culture can be affected by them immediately. And that's to me, that like really energizes me. So there's not like you don't really know about those people until you meet them. They're not mm-hmm. out there famous or anything like that, at least my experience. And that funny, you know, 
I remember when you first came on board, Julie, like you had the corporate thing and you know, it's like herding cats and you can't get anything done. You you walk in the I office. was like, we need to have a board meeting and I'm going to have a PowerPoint presentation and then we're going to take this to the next partner and then we're going to take this to the next, you know? And he's like, well, what do you want to do? Just you do know, it. like <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> we can just do it. Right. Like, I'm like, well, like, that was really easy. So I swam in <laughs> peanut butter for a really long time. Yes. And then all of a sudden I had jumped into water, but I hadn't realized that. So that that analogy is so true and I, I can relate to that. We don't do it like that around here. We just jump right in. <laughs> and I love it. And it's, it's great because, it. you know, a typical entrepreneur, again, uh, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we just don't know what the playbook is because we have to just figure it out. There's no resources. Today, like I said, it's it's all at our fingertips and, you know, we can just like, well, can somebody tell me what I'm missing? And then we can go find it, right? Where before, yes. there's no way to find that. And I think for, for me, like when you came on board, Julie was like, well, I don't know. I don't even know what's really wrong, but like, I know there's something wrong. So can, I think I need this. Can you provide that? And then all of a sudden it just clicks, right? And, and in your case, again, you're just going in and, and finding the what that person, that team is lacking and just going, you know, you just put your gum and plug up that little hole right there and you're good to go. Flip that little right switch. On. Which is amazing, right? That it's that simple, but it's not. It's you know, it's the value, not the time. It's the it's the value that you bring to the table. Can you give us yeah. a really great story of something where you went in and you were able to make just an instant change that was, you know, I think sometimes you know I get to go do some of the things you do, but it's so fulfilling when you can watch yeah. it happen before your eyes. So, what's can you tell a story of one of those fulfilling moments? Yeah. So I'm always really careful about my language when I talk about my work. So I don't make any changes. And I know that sounds really picky, but I just want to make that distinction. You know, you asked, can you tell us about a time you went and make change? You you created changes. Whatever, and Chad. I don't. I, whatever, Chad. You can say it all you want. We know what's going on. What word would you like <laughs> me to use? <laughs> because it's so the first step in any time that I work with a client is self discovery. We all have blind spots. The fish doesn't know it's in water, right? So the first thing we have to do is to be able to see the water. So that's a process of feedback. So whenever I'm working with a client one-to-one, -one, that is the goal. That is the, that is the work typically for the first couple months. We're just getting clear on what it is that they're not seeing, what blind spots they've chosen to ignore, and how they have created what it is that they're in. Because most people come to me thinking it's the circumstance, right? It's the, it's the market. It's this young generation. They're just, they don't like to work. Like it's excuse after excuse mm -hmm. after excuse, right? And I say every single excuse weakens character. I don't accept excuses. I only accept responsibility. So if you want to work with me, you better be ready to take some responsibility. And that's the self-discovery that happens. To me, honestly, that is the most exciting part of what I do is watching that self-discovery happen. But it's so, it's so here. Now, it's going to go out there, I guess this is a podcast, mm -hmm. so I better like, it's so with, you know, that self-discovery is with the person first. It doesn't have a lot of effect outside originally, but then we get to work from the inside out from there. Now that you see what's going on, now that you see how you have created this and why you've created it, what is it that you really want to create? This Talk to me about vision and aim and who do you want to be for your people and how do you want to show up for them? So a story is just recently, beginning of the year, I got to start working with a um, really successful financial planner. This guy is like top of his game in his market, brilliant, really good guy, um, very hard worker. And he, I mean, the work ethic of like when he's one of the things that we started working on together, one of the complaints he had is how much he worked. Right. This guy's doing 60 hours a week. I don't know, something crazy. And uh, he can't understand why his people are so lazy. <laughs> they just don't care. Yeah. They're just not invested. 
They don't care like I do. You know, we've heard this, we've heard these complaints mm-hmm. a million times and started working with this guy. Um, so genuine in his approach, so genuine in his perspective, and um, but so open to something different, something else being possible. And that's a requirement to work with me. If you're not open, we can't do anything because you're not going to be willing to see what it is that I'm going to illuminate. No problem, but you're going to continue to have the results you're, mm-hmm. you're having. So uh, worked with him on the personal discovery for the first couple months. That was a beautiful experience. So many results for himself, so many ways that he saw that he was not being, again, my story started to show up in his, not being the dad that he wanted to be, not being the husband that he wanted to be. Ultimately take it to out to the team as he started to make some of the discoveries about how he used work to avoid some Mm -hmm. of the conversations some of the things that he needed, to, you know, things that he needed to take care of in, in his life. Um, and anyway, so taking that out now, he's now this culture that was very isolated, very siloed, very heads down, don't ask questions, work hard, all of that sort of stuff. Now they're talking. Now they're talking about what it is that they really want in life. They're talking about what's not actually working. They're giving each other real-time or as close to real-time feedback as they possibly can. And they're able to sit at the table with that feedback and then examine it rather than him being a dictator and wondering why they didn't care as much. And what's, what's beautiful about this whole thing is that their care for the company, the vision, and the people, the customers, and the clients has gone through the roof. I feel like you just described the transformation of a boss versus a leader. And, Absolutely. And the all elusive aha moment yeah. where right. you just, why am I here and what am I supposed to be doing? Because as an entrepreneur, you're so busy grinding, you never think about the big picture until your case, everybody's case as an entrepreneur generally that, oh shoot, I messed that one up. And now yes. you learn from it and then- you came in, you have a different perspective where you, oh, shoot, I screwed that one up. And mm-hmm. again, it's it's so easy. I say easy. The hardest part for an entrepreneur is to admit that they don't know something. Like we just can't let show that weakness. We have to know it all, right? But I also think just to build on that, you know, not that we're knocking entrepreneurs because we definitely we love, love them, but it's, it's hard for them to get out of their own way. Right. To sure. be able to have that awareness and discovery to say, oh, yeah. But usually something... Right, catastrophic right, right. has to happen and then they get lucky and they get somebody like Chad to come in or some other advisor or mentor or whatever and then they go that is a totally different lens and now they get re-energized and find that purpose and then they can go figure it out and and then it just transforms exponentially but and again the, again it's just the access to information or who can help and the entrepreneurial yes. co- um, community just didn't exist 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it just, it wasn't there today. It's there. So the hope of this podcast literally is to get entrepreneurs to realize there is somebody out there that can help you. You just gotta, you just gotta want to look a little bit and, and have that self accusation, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Actualization. Yes. That word that you, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay. Yeah. Why, why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. I tell people all the time, look, you don't have to hire me. I mean, I'm expensive and it's not necessary to hire me, but you better have somebody in your corner who's willing to tell you the truth. Would you define that that is your superpower? Like that thing that you have other than hunting and fishing and hiking and all those cool things. <laughs> what What is your superpower that says, you know, I walk in a room, I just freaking dominate this space. What, what do you think that is? My superpower is very simple. I am able to get incredibly committed to your vision, like ridiculously, annoyingly committed to your vision, and I'm not going to get off of it. So the, the reason that that's a superpower is because most people want to look good, be right, or be in control. Hmm. I can let go of that, come in, and I can see your vision, and I will I am committed to being with you in it. So I tell people, I believe in you so much that I'm 
often not going to believe you. Awesome. Meaning the stories you tell yourself is what has gotten you here. I'm not going to buy those stories. I'm going to fight for new stories. I don't know what they are. We're, I've got a set of questions. I've got a way of inquiry that we can discover what they are. Um, but that's, that is my superpower is that I will not get off of it. And look, some people don't, don't re up with me because I won't get off of it. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's fine. You know, that, that, that means our, we weren't meant to be together, but that also means I retain clients for two, three years when it's right, when they want to hear the truth. You know, Julie, that's, you know, when you, you said, uh, you know, how do you get out of your own way? It is a very humbling experience to go through the trauma of, of an entrepreneur that we have this, like something happens and you're like, oh my God, I feel like I failed or whatever that is, or the setback. Yeah. And, and then to, to actually admit that you need help in some way, shape or form. And then when you admit it, then somebody comes in and blows up your world and makes and holds you accountable and nobody tells nobody tells Chad what to do and now somebody's telling Chad what to do like that mm -hmm. is a huge big step for people but again you cannot get better if you don't tear yourself down a little bit right i mean i i feel like that has to happen yeah i i for me it's like this is the game of human which mm -hmm. is we can't see what we can't see so even for me like even as i talk about it, i'm always really uh explicit like because I can go in and do this for other people, for business owners, entrepreneurs, company founders, because I'm really good at what I do, does not mean I don't, I, I experience the same thing. Been there, done I that. must have people in my life that are willing mm. to question, tell, tell me the truth, give me feedback that they don't want to give me, that I'm not going to want to hear. I have to. I I need that as well if I want to be cl as closely connected to reality as I possibly can, and to create new results. So I have those people in my life, and you know our team at our at our firm is very much that for each other. We are not agreeable. We love each other deeply. We are a family, and but we are not agreeable, and and that's that's crucial. We keep. We keep it very, very real. We tell each other the the truth. We give each other feedback. And it's hard, man. Whew. It's like really tough at times. I've gotten some of the most like we have um one of our one of our associate partners, Eileen, she's the wife of Dan, who I was talking about earlier, who's kind of the sage, been in it for a really long time. She is brutal, lovingly brutal. I've gotten some of the hardest feedback in my life from her. And it, I see, that. I can, I can see the, I can see it. Um, but, but man, I look back on that and I am so grateful to her, like eternally grateful to her that she would be willing to take that risk with me. So now the billion dollar question is what is your end game? What is my end game? Yeah, are you going to build this thing up and sell it? You're going to keep milking it? You're going to transition out of it? You're going to do something You're going to go revolutionize the insurance world? You're going to do a you're going to be a, <laughs> a you know, like a hunting guide or something which is cool like that or you know, what's what's going to happen here? I am really content, man. I'm really content, you know, every single it feels like every year year over year um I get closer to the people that are really made for this work the clients and the, and um and that's really fun the challenges become more uh challenging i guess and i and that excites me um and so you know we have been able i've been able to see growth in this thing both financially and in myself and client wise yeah. year over year um so i don't know I, I i i don't know how to answer that question other than i'm really content doing what i'm what i'm doing um i do a lot of other side things that you know uh, ultimately can probably turn it out and turn into something that i can sell um but this is i, I can't see myself ever not doing this so chad this was a totally trick question there is no end game you can't as an entrepreneur. <laughs> once you find 
the infinite the, game. Right. Once you find the thing that you're good at and you love it and you can impact so many people and you, you get the passion, the drive and the satisfaction, why would you ever stop? And I think something you said really early on that's very impactful and I think we find it true with you know all of our guests is you're not doing it for the money. You're doing something. I like money. <laughs> it's more than it's important. But, but I'm saying it's not your driving factor, sure. right? And no. I think once you changed that, I think so many things came into your life so differently. Yes. Yeah. Money or, or the the drive for money is pretty blinding. So I have one more question. So that's supposed to be the last question, but I've been looking at this thing behind you. And so for our listeners, there's a sign and it says, give a damn. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. I just have little visual cues. I'm on Zoom all day with my clients. Um, and so I have intentional visual cues just to remind them um, like we're we're doing more than building a business here. We're more we're doing back to that that same conversation. We're doing so much more than making money. Uh, you think, you know, when most people when most people find me, they think their business is about producing a service or a product. And I say that's not true. I say their their business is about offering a gift to the world and being a development of people if they want it to be that way. Like if they want the bigger game, if they want the fulfilling game. Cause I, you know, I don't know about you guys. I get to associate with a lot of really wealthy, quote unquote, successful people mm-hmm. who are absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. And I think the game, the treadmill of product profitability service, like all buy, sell, all of that sort of, I think it's an incredibly unfulfilling game. And um, when you're willing to give a damn, when you're willing to uh, offer something to the world that feels both risky and vulnerable, but significant to you, and you care about the people that are going to be developed within it, that's where fulfillment is found or, or create not found, sorry, created. I believe we create it. We don't find it. Um, so that's, that's why I have a, a banner that says, I love it. So, you know, I'll segue into the thing here, but the, I wish I knew you, you know, 15 years ago and seeing what your temperament was like and what your vibe was. Cause today you, I've never seen anybody more peaceful and content and just chilling and, you know, have a passion. You don't look like you have a stress in the world. I mean, obviously you got some stuff in the back that's stressful, right? Your traps working and the trail cams working, all that good stuff. But you know what I mean? Like you just look like you are just in a wonderful place. And I don't know what that looked like 15 years ago. So, but whatever it is you did and whatever you're doing, keep doing it, I would say. And then for our listeners, if you want to give a little plug of how we get a hold of, how they get a hold of you, if they, to something you said resonates with them. If you want to throw something in there, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, I think the the first place to really get a better understanding of me and what I do is you can start with our podcast, Naked Leadership. Um, there's a there's an episode that I t- that I point people to. It's episode 145. It's called How We Do How We Do Con or How We Do Confrontation. And um, I host the Naked Leadership with with the two founders of the company, Adrian and Dan. And I, I produced the whole thing. I, I come up with the topics, all of that sort of stuff. So I gave them a topic. We came to record and I surprised them. And I asked them if it would be okay if we actually uh, process something that was really bothering me about them, something that I was carrying, something that was I was offended by. And uh, they both obliged. We recorded it. Um, and I did it because I wanted to display how difficult converse, how we can be connected as human beings in difficult conversations. Because most of the breakdowns in business are due to not having a difficult conversation. I'd say like 90% of them. So we go through it. You can, it's fun. You can hear me. You can hear my nervousness. You can hear my awkwardness. You can hear their awkwardness. And it's, and you know, there's some places where we don't align and, it's a it's an interesting look into a model of how we teach others 
one of the most significant skills as an entrepreneur, which is to have difficult conversations. So I always point people to that episode to give you a real good insight into me, into our team. And it's super on the fly, vulnerable, that sort of thing. Now I'm Beyond worried that, that the next episode, Glenn's going to be like, so Julie, it's just surprise, you and I. Surprise. <laughs> Thanks for that, Chad. Thanks. <laughs> so I've got some things. Right up, right up um, my aisle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always trying to, you know, it's so interesting. I'm always trying to figure out how do we make this thing not packaged? How do we make this thing as real as possible or close to the work that we do? Because what we do is not packaged at all. Anyway, start there. Reach out to me, chat at takenewground.com. I would love to hear from anybody on any topic. Um, and uh, yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, you've been a fabulous guest. We're very happy to have you here. And our listeners should love this one. So thank you very much. Yes, thank you. I've this enjoyed it. Another episode of Empowering Entrepreneurs in the Books. This is Glenn Harper signing off. Julie Smith. See ya. At Harper & Company CPA Plus, we just don't care about the numbers. We care about helping you tap into the greatness of your entrepreneurial journey. You deserve a partner who has helped hundreds of businesses go from paying the bills to building the business and lifestyle of their dreams. Go to our website and download our free guide entitled Entrepreneurial Success Formula, how to Avoid Managing Your Business from Your Bank Account. The link is in this episode's show notes.